Our Old Testament passage today begins in 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning with verse 9. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon. Now you're going to have to get a hold of that. Okay? God gets angry with people. And let's make a list of people God gets angry with. Okay? So you can start a list of those. Because, okay, the list should also have causes of God's anger with people. Because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Wow. Who had appeared to him twice. Okay. Now here is a big deal. Okay. David versus Solomon. David lived a relationship. Solomon, two great encounters. Now, forgive me, but kids who grow up in church, don't get mad at me, and I don't mean this to be critical or harsh. But sometimes kids that grow up in church, you've had a couple of great experiences with God. Youth camp, revival meetings, whatever. You've had a couple of incredible encounters with God, and you know that God's real. But you've taken God for granted. It's just part of life. You, you, you've become familiar with the things of God, and it's not special anymore. David is a man who lived his walk with God. Let me illustrate this way. You would not say someone had a healthy marriage who got together twice in their life and had a wonderful event and maybe consummated the marriage and had a wonderful honeymoon. And then maybe five years later, they had another wonderful second honeymoon. But basically, he lived with his family and she lived with her family. And you wouldn't call that a relationship. You'd call that a couple of experiences. David, however, had a marriage with God. He lived with God every day. Yes, he failed, but he lived with God every day. And, and growing up in church, please, you've got to learn to live with God. You read your Bible, you pray, you worship God every day. Otherwise, you know all the right things to say. You know, sometimes I see church kids and they know all the right things to say and they can look so spiritual, but inside their heart is black and cold. But they know all the right things to say. They can really put on the show. Maybe David couldn't put on the show that Solomon could. But David lived with God. And he commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, all right? So here's, here's the cause of anger. Here's the cause. But he did not keep what God commanded. Now, brothers and sisters, remember, this was caused by 700 foreign wives and altars. Remember, he built one altar for God. He built 700 demon altars in the hills surrounding Jerusalem, one for each of his foreign wives. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant, this has been your practice. All right, this is a custom. This is a custom. This is a lifestyle. He said, your lifestyle, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. All right, so this is God's rebuke. God's rebuke and removal of the promise. Now, you know, there are people that take, well, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. There are people who take that verse and stretch it like a rubber band out of context until the truth becomes an untruth. And they don't see throughout scripture. God promised to do great things for people, but when they changed, it's not that God changed. 
they stepped into a different flow. They started, they got into another river, so to speak. They got into a different highway. If they had stayed on the path of righteousness, if they stayed on the highway of righteousness, the blessing would have become reality. But because they got on the um, highway of destruction, things change. So God did not change. Solomon changed. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Wow. For a thousand generations, this is spiritual legacy. God said that he would show love and faithfulness to a thousand generations of those who love him. For the sake of your father, David. Now remember, David's still alive. David's in heaven with God. Every day, God looks at David and remembers the promises that he made to David. He said, David's standing here with me. For the sake of David, your father. I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of your hand. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem. So we have two legacies. David, who's standing here with me, and Jerusalem, that I have loved. And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. Now remember, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. But when David was at Edom, for when David was at Edom and Joab was commander of the army, went up to bury the slain, he struck down every male in Edom. So this is Joab. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom. All right. This weekend, I'm going to teach you about one cause of bitterness. And that cause of bitterness is defeat beyond reason. There's no generosity in, in the victory. Did you remember? And we'll put the verse in there. Abner looked at Joab when he was about to kill the last of Abner's men. And Abner said, now, Joab, stop, or this will only result in bitterness. You, you can't kill everybody and there be no bitterness. Yes, war was one thing, but, you know, defeat without reason is another thing. It only creates bitterness. Joab never learned the lesson. Joab, and we've talked a lot about him. Joab was a very cruel man. He killed two innocent men. And that's why David said, Solomon, don't let this guy die in peace. Okay. This was a cruel, this was a cruel man. But Hadad fled to Egypt together with certain Edomites of his father's house, Hadad still being a child. And they set out from Edom and came to Paran and took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house and assigned him an allowance of food and gave him land. This was a custom in that day. If, if one king had to flee his nation because of being conquered, a king in a friendly nation would still keep him with the respect. Okay, He, he would still be treated as a king. He stayed there in the house with him. And Hadad found favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so he gave him in marriage the sister of his own wife, the sister of Taphines, the queen. And the sister of Taphines bore him Genubath, his son, whom Taphines weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genuba was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart that I may return to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, What have you lacked with me that you are now seeking to go to your country? He said, Only let me depart. God also raised up an adversary. All right, so here is the second adversary. Reason, the son of Aliada, who had fled from his master Hadadezer, the king of Zobah. And he gathered men around him and became leader of a marauding band after the killing by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. He was an adversary in Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. And he loathed Israel and reigned over 
Syria. Now, this is one of the things you have to... This, this is an attitude of an enemy. They loathe. Now, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zarada, the servant of Solomon, whose mother was named Zura, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. All right, so here is the third adversary. And this was the reason why he lifted his hand. Okay, there's a reason against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of David, his father. And Jeroboam was very able. And when Solomon saw the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. All right, so this is promotion to hard workers. At that time, Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem. The prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah was dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, there's legacy, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules as David his father did. All right? As David his father did. Did. There is a reason for loss of destiny. Nevertheless, I will take the whole kingdom out of his hand. I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. Now, I want you to keep noticing for the sake of my servant David. David lived a life that brought blessings to generations after him. And this is the cry of my heart. Lord, let me so live a life that as I stand there in heaven with you, this is the cry of my heart, that as I stand there in heaven with you, blessing will come upon people just because of how I live my life. You cannot underestimate the power of a righteous life. Let me just write that down. Do not underestimate the power of a righteous life. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you ten tribes. Yet to his son I will give one tribe that my servant now notice, David is alive. <laughs> David's still alive. He's in heaven. So this whole concept that the Sadducees believed about, you know, there's no resurrection, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. David's alive with God in heaven. The city where I have chosen to put my name, and I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And... Okay, here's the promise. Here's the condition. And if you will listen to all that I command you, and you will walk in all my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commands as David my servant did, I will be with you and build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you three Three conditions. Listen, walk in his ways, do what is right. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Here's mercy. Judgment is not forever. Now there's a reason for that. Because one day David will stand in the rebuilt temple during the millennium. And David will be prince over Jerusalem. 
and the apostles will all be given one of the 12 tribes to lead. So it could, it could not be an eternal promise because one day the apostles will lead the 12 tribes of Israel and David will lead worship as the prince of Jerusalem. But I want you to get another thing here. Some of you, please forgive me, I don't want to be cruel, but some of you have really not walked in his ways and not listened and not done what was right. And now you're eating the fruit of your sin. That's all judgment is, the fruit of your sin. I want you to understand judgment isn't forever. Judgment does not rise new every morning. Mercy rises new every morning. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know all the verses. So for those of you that are eating the fruit of your ways, please understand. I, I think one of the beautiful things for me today in my life is to look at Jimmy Swagger. Now, it's my great-grandmother who, who led Jimmy Swagger to Christ and his family. And so I've watched them all my life, and our families were close. Now, I've never been that close, but the rest of the family was. But Jimmy got into sin many years ago. And you know what? For 20 years, they walked through the fire. But when you look at them today, and you see the mercy of God, they just rededicated and, and reopened their, their main auditorium. They're, they, they're the largest owner of Christian radio stations in the United States. They're broadcasting to more people today than they ever did before. Judgment is never forever. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I, I look at Jimmy Swaggart and I go, oh, there's an object of his mercy. And I, I just, I sit back and I rejoice. I sit back and my heart just thrills. In fact, I'll tell you a funny one on my family. <laughs> Talk about families reaping. When my dad was in his 70s, been away from God pretty much his whole life since college. My dad was sitting down listening to Jimmy Swaggart, prayed the prayer, and gave his life back to Christ. Now, you know what? Judgment never lasts forever. Mercy. Mercy rises new every morning. Ah, some of you just need to lift your head and recognize, you know what? God's judgment. God's hand of judgment on my life because of my sin doesn't last forever. Mercy flows. Oh, beloved, get a hold of that. Lift up your head and have hope. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. <laughs> he said, I'm... I'm I'm going to kill this guy who thinks he's going to destroy the kingdom after I die. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, all that he did, all his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? At that time, Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Chapter 12, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now, why did they go to Shechem to make him king? I don't know. That's a question mark. Why here? So that's something I want to go study. As soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Now, isn't that interesting? Jeroboam came and said to Rehoboam. Now, remember, Jeroboam was in charge of forced labor. Remember, we just read that. Interesting person. He said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam counseled with the old men who stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they said, if you will be a servant to the people to stay and serve them 
and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Great wisdom. But he abandoned the counsel the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. Okay? Stood before him. Not, not stood before stood before Solomon. Now, I want you to notice the difference. Young people, please, I don't say this to be critical, but young people your own age have no more wisdom than you do. Forgive me, they don't know any more than you do. Why would you ask an ignorant person? I didn't say a stupid person. Stupid means you know better and don't do it. Ignorant means you have no knowledge. Why would you ask an ignorant person to tell you what to do? when that person is just as ignorant as you are. Now, he has at his access men who advise the wisest man that ever lived. Now, now, now think of that. These are the wisest men in Solomon's eyes. But now, let me tell you, young people, what you often want to do. You want to wipe away all the wisdom of the previous generation and you want to do everything your way. And then you fail miserably. Well, it's a new day. We had a new thing, new wineskins. I've heard young preachers say it all my life. One of the reasons I've been successful in my life is because I was always willing to listen to the previous generation. Why should I make the same mistakes they made? See, I think every generation should stand on the shoulders of the previous generation, not just financially, but wisdom-wise. We, we listen to those that went before us, and we stand on their shoulders, and then our generation can go farther. But forgive me, Rehoboam, there's a new generation. We're going to do things our way. It's our time to lead. It's our time to rule. This is called arrogance. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the load that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him say, Thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. Ah! Pride. Wanting to prove self. And you know what? The dude had nothing to prove. He's king. Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to that yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Grabe. Talk about foolishness. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, and the king, as the king had said, come to me again the third day. But the king answered the people harshly forsaking the counsel of the old men that the old men had given him. Now, I want you to back up and just look at something for a minute. What did these old men say to him? What did the old men say to him? If you will be a, a servant, serve them. Speak good works, good words to them. They will be your servants. Some of you young pastors out there listening to me, the people will not serve your arrogance. As a pastor, serve the people. Grab a, a mop and help mop the floor right along with them. Serve with the people and serve the people. Lay down your life for those people. Let them see that you are working hard to serve them. You don't need somebody to hand you your bottle of water on Sunday. After you preach, here's your water. Let me, I, I, I walked into churches where the pastor would actually turn in his sermon and he'd turn and someone would come and mop the sweat on his forehead. Pastors, we serve the people. The people don't serve us. But if you want the people to serve, serve the people. And good words. This was the advice of the old men. Speak good words to them. Don't speak harshly to them. Don't act like some know-it-all and you're all right and everybody's all wrong. People will not follow that. They just will not follow that. 
So the king did not listen to the people. He did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. You know what? Sometimes God hardens hearts because he has a purpose. Which the Lord spoke to Hajah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have with David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. This is the second split. Now, you're going to have to understand something. Do you remember earlier, worthless men came up and told the ten tribes, when, when David was going to take over the kingdom of Israel, when the tribes had gathered together, worthless men came up and said, Ten tribes, follow us. And the ten tribes followed. You'll find, if you look at things, you'll see where splits and divisions occur. They're not new things. There's ancient prejudices, okay? The lines of ancient divisions. The lines of ancient division. Put in the verse there. The ten tribes split at David's takeover. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones now. Here again, foolishness. This is no wisdom. What was the big argument about? Lighten our load. This was the wrong man to send. Okay? He was a taskmaster over forced labor. That's the wrong man to send. Okay? No wisdom. Send a man not associated with the argument. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And notice God still calls it rebellion. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. And there was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, a man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin. So this is a word to the king and to the people. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. Sometimes you just have to accept God's consequences. Okay? You just have to accept God's consequences. They had built those 700 demon altars in the hills around Jerusalem. They built those demon altars all across Judah. And now they just simply had to humble themselves and accept God's consequences. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord, our rescuer. There is good news for the captive. Good news for the shame. There is good news for the 
New Testament passage today begins in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, as we begin the story of the Apostle Paul. But Saul is still, okay, this, this is still. Aphrastesson's death. He's still breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. Now, remember, John 8, round all oh, 30 to 33. A disciple is someone who holds Jesus' word in heart. Remember? Also tied to that, the parable of the sower. Persecution takes the word out of heart. Now, I want you to notice this persecution was against the disciples of the Lord. And remember with me in John 8. To those who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold my word in your heart, then you shall be my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It is the holding of this incorruptible. Peter calls it the incorruptible seed. It's this holding of this incorruptible seed in our life that transforms us into a disciple. You don't become a disciple because somebody disciples you, okay? To make a disciple means you come up to people you plant the incorruptible seed of the word in their heart and you make sure it stays there. Just like we saw in Samaria and with the Ethiopian eunuch, the, these people did not stay long-term in their lives to, I'm going to be your discipler. I mean, this is a whole false doctrine that's being taught. And it's all about controlling. It's sweet control, but it's still control. Every man needs to learn to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that said, the, the threats and murders didn't come against people who believed in Jesus. It came against people who held the word in their hearts. Now, add from John 8, around 30 to 33, add to that the parable of the sower. What is the effect of persecution? It is to drive the word out of our hearts. So the purpose of this, his purpose is to destroy salvation in people is to destroy salvation in people and he asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way now here's another way Christians were described and they're described the way because Jesus is the way it's all about access is it we were called Christians in Antioch, which means like the anointed one. But in Israel, we are called people of the way because everything about Jesus was about access to the Father. Men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So all persecution focuses on Jesus. He feels it. And he said, who are you, Lord? 
He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Whatever people do to God's people, they are doing to God, okay? Acts against God's people are against God. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Wow. Don't you know that that group of persecutors got an education that day? Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And he said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. <laughs> you talk about, wow, okay, information detailed information in a vision. And look, God has already given Paul a vision of a man named Ananias. Visions don't just come to people who've been saved for 50 years, folks. And God gave him hope. <laughs> God did more than give Paul information. God gave Paul hope. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind over all who call in your name. And the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is a chosen instrument to carry my name. All right, so I want you to notice from the beginning who Paul is. He's an instrument. He's a chosen instrument. His purpose is revealed. His purpose is to carry my name before the Gentiles, to carry my name before kings, and to carry my name before the people of Israel. Threefold. Threefold purpose. And there's no soft sell. There's no bait and switch. There's no, Paul, everything's going to be wonderful. You're going to have the most glorious life. You're not going to have to work hard. You're going to get rich. You're going to have a big house. You're going to have 50 donkeys. Oh, Paul, you're going to have a wonderful life. No, I'm going to show Paul what he must suffer for the sake of my name. You know, it amazes me how young people today want to step into a church like COP where people have for generations sacrificed and they want to step in and have everything right now. I keep challenging the young men and the young women. Do you want God to bless you? Then remember what Jesus said to the apostles. That in all the, the God would prosper them and give them a hundredfold return of what they sacrificed. Sacrificed. Hmm. No wonder Paul had a great revelation of the family of God. He sacrificed his family. God gave him family every place in the world. But that's a whole other study. But I want you just to notice that when God calls people, he doesn't give you the illusion of everything's going to be easy. He tells you straight up front, you're going to have to suffer for my namesake. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, now notice, Brother Saul. He believed God. I've saved this guy. Brother Saul. Acceptance. Salvation makes you accepted. Folks, at some point we have to understand that in the body of Christ, people have no need to prove themselves to us. When they're born again, we accept them. Brother, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? 
And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized, taking food, he was strengthened. All right, so here's the Holy Ghost. Here's tongues. Here's healing. Here's healing. Here's water baptism. And taking food, he was strengthened. Here's the practical. Okay, great. You got filled with the Holy Ghost. You spoke in other tongues. You've got healing. You've been water baptized. Now, we still have to be practical. Paul, you need to eat. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Now, how could he do this? Well, I want you to remember with me. He knew the scripture, but now scripture revealed to him. Everything he'd always studied, now it makes sense. Also, he saw Jesus. He was member of the Sanhedrin. He listened to Jesus. He would have seen Jesus many times in the temple courts. So it's just like he knew all the right words. He knew all the he knew all the what the scripture said, but he had no revelation. But now his eyes are open and he realizes Jesus is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? And Saul increased more and more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Again, revelation and knowledge are different subjects. Now, when you have knowledge, revelation can flow quickly. He had the knowledge of the scriptures, but now he had the spirit giving him the revelation. So yes, he increased more and more in strength and confounded the Jews. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. So here's his first, <laughs> his first death threat. But the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in a wall, lowering him in a basket. Uh, this is what I call humble time. <laughs> okay. uh, Saul was a big shot. He was from, you know, ruling class. Now he's being let down through a wall in a basket. This is humble time. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. All right. These people had previous experience, and they were afraid. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them. All right, they accepted. They accepted him. But they accepted him because he had a sponsor. Hey, listen, he's okay now. Sometimes you need a sponsor. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. This was his own synagogue. Now remember, this persecution that happened under Paul was a persecution that started in the Hellenistic synagogue. All right, the Hellenistic synagogue were the Greek Grecian Jews, and they were they were actually persecuted persecuted by the Hebraic Jews. All right, I mean it was it was really difficult. They they were almost like a second class Jew, just like the Reformed Jews are treated as second class Jews by the the Orthodox Jews in Israel today. The the Hellenistic Jews were treated like Okay, you're Jews, but we're not really sure about all this. They were treated like second-class Jews. Now, typical second-class people, people who feel second-class, second-tier people, or let's call it second-class, always, let's make it this way, people treated 
second class. Always feel the need to OA, to OP, to overact and overperform. The persecution that came out of the synagogue, out of the, the, the temple courts was nowhere as near as severe as the persecution that came out from the Hellenistic synagogue. So Paul goes right back to these people because he was the leading proponent of the persecution from the Hellenistic synagogue, the synagogue of the freedmen, it was called. And I mean, he went back up against the leaders of the persecution he went against, okay? Okay, so he went back against the leadership of the persecution. And when, and when he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, they were seeking to kill him. Now here's his second death threat. <laughs> and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. This is Paul's hometown. Caesarea is the port city. We go there every year. We go to Israel. First stop. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord. This is respect for God. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. All right, here's church growth principles. For a church to grow, it needs peace. It needs to be built up. It needs to respect God. It needs the Holy Spirit. Comfort, which means to come alongside, you know, paraclesis. That's how a church multiplies, not addition. That's how a church multiplies. All right. Let's go over to Proverbs. We're running out of time today. Let's go over to Proverbs for just a little bit of wisdom as we close out today. A greedy man stirs up strife. All right. People who stir up strife. Whenever you see somebody stirring up strife, know something. They may position themselves as this wonderful person. They may be, oh, so wonderful. They may be, oh, their words are so sweet. They, they make sugar seem sour. But they're a greedy man. Best illustration, Judas. Remember the strife in Bethany about Jesus's beautiful gift? because he wanted to steal the money. Every time you see a person stirring up strife, recognize that is a greedy person. But the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Ah, so trust in God, not conflict, brings prosperity. You see, the greedy man wants to take. A person who trusts in God knows how to receive from God. Whoever trusts, and here is a big one, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Did you hear that? Whoever trusts in his own mind, we are not that smart. Never trust in your own mind. You trust your own mental capability. You're a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. Now, are you giving to the poor? Are you Facebooking it because you are... <laughs> Let me put it this way. Giving to poor is not virtue signaling. You know, it is amazing to me how many people today want to virtue signal. They, they do something so that people will think that they're virtuous. That's called virtue signaling. But giving to the poor, you don't need the virtue signal. When you give to the poor, God will bless you. When you virtue signal, not so much. 
But he who hides his eyes will get many curses. Never ignore the poor. Don't pretend like you don't see them. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves. There's nothing they can do. When, when wicked people come to power, all you can do is not be noticed. But when they perish, the righteous increase. You know, I've noticed in my short life that when the wicked perish, all these wonderful people start coming up. All these people that were were hidden before start start coming up. It's like it's like grass after a dry season and the first big rain. Pooh, it just all begins to come up beautifully. See, people hide themselves when wicked people are in leadership. But as soon as those wicked people are out of the way, you see all this beautiful righteousness coming up and all these people wanting to get involved and serve. It's amazing. All right. We'll see you tonight. We're getting back into the book of Colossians tonight, Paul's wonderful prayer life. And you know what? It's fun to study Paul's prayer life. We'll see you tonight, 630.